very much. Appreciate that honorable prayer. As we continue to pray, as I stand before you, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Colossians. Last time we were together, the Lord I trust has put my mind upon this first chapter of Colossians, and I would like to begin there, the Lord being our helper. To set a little bit of a historical background here of the city of Colossae, uh, Colossae had been an extremely striving, thriving city. Uh, its main commerce was in the industry of wool. Some believe that that wool was probably purple in color, but they have a thriving industry in the selling of wool. One of the main roads that went through that area changed from running by Colossae to then running by Laodicea. And so, as we've seen throughout various communities in our nation where one main thoroughfare is replaced, say, by an interstate, and the little town that was by the old main road began to kind of dry up. And that was really the situation here at Colossae. So they had probably seen some of their material wealth, some of their material things diminish. But the Apostle Paul reminds them of where there are far greater blessings than just material things. Shortly after the penning of this book, uh, according to history, the city of Colossae would face a pretty massive earthquake, which would very, very seriously damage the city. So Colossae, in a way, is, is kind of like all of our lives. Uh, you have your ups, and you have your downs. You've got your hills, and you've got your valleys. And certainly Colossae was no stranger to difficulty. And as we live in this old world, we're not going to be strangers to difficulties. I want to read through, the Lord may not help, the verses that we covered last time and then proceed on. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. Since the day ye heard it, 
and knew the grace of God in truth. And she also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now as we've gone through and we covered these verses last time, but you'll see some, some emphasis on some very personal things. Uh, their hope was laid up for them. It says laid up for you in heaven. Epaphras, whose name again literally means lovely, was for you a faithful minister of Christ. So what the Apostle Paul has covered here is something very personal unto the individuals at Colossae. And I'm going to tell you what our Lord's done for us, it's very personal. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Chose us individually and placed us in his son. When he died upon the cross of Calvary, he died for you. That hope, that inheritance, that heaven and the Lord of glory that's laid up for us in heaven. Yes, Colossae may have lost so much of their material goods, but they had a hope laid up for them in heaven that, that nothing in this world could ever wash away. No earthquake could ever take away. No bad economy could ever chip away. So there's some themes there. There's also the theme of truth. You knew the grace of God and truth. He said, you've heard before the word of truth. And then he picks up, and this is about where we had left off last time. He said, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Again, there's that very personal phrase, for ye. What a blessing when we know our brothers and sisters in Christ are praying for us. And what a blessing when we're able to pray for each other and what a difference prayer makes. Said unto desire that she might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The Apostle Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae, which again, by the way, he had never met these individuals face to face. He had heard about them from their pastor, Epaphras, who had given the Apostle Paul, who actually pins this epistle as a, as a Roman prisoner. He's a prisoner at Rome. But look at the joy Paul expresses, the Apostle Paul expresses in this book. See, the Apostle Paul had a joy that the bad circumstances of this life couldn't take away. The Lord's blessed us with that same joy. And what a blessing it is. He's praying here diligently. He said, I do not cease to pray for you. He's keeping on keeping on in prayer. You know, that's a good example for us. We need to keep on keeping on in prayer. Prayer matters. Prayer changes things. Prayer is a blessing 
that at any time of the day or night, we're, made, we're able to approach unto the Lord's rich throne of grace in heaven. So we're able to say things here and have the listening ear of our Father in heaven. What a blessing. He said that she might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just be, have a quarter of a tank, not just a half a tank of the Lord's will, but a full tank. Uh, Sister Emily knows that when our vehicles get below half a tank, I get nervous. Because one of the things my daddy taught me, he said, son, always keep at least a half a tank. You never know what's going to happen. And so I start getting a little nervous when the tanks like less. I was riding with a preacher friend of mine one time, and his tank was so low that it kept giving that audible signal. Please find gas immediately. Please find gas. Well, this preacher was trying to wait on the cheapest gas station he could find that was in way another part of the town. And I finally is making me so nervous. I said, brother, I'll buy your gas. Just please stop. And let's get some gas. So the Apostle Paul here is not... Uh, saying that you need to have a little bit of the knowledge of the will of God. He's saying, I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's the most precious knowledge we can have. You know, we all, no matter what walk of life we may have had in our life, no matter what profession we may have had, we try to gain knowledge of our profession and try to learn more about it as we go through. I've tried to learn a lot more about the law and legal work and the, the business of probation than I did when I started. And I, I tell our young officers, I said, I'm continuing to learn every single day. And I tell them, don't stop learning. We need to continue to learn. But any knowledge of the world, you take your pick, it pales in comparison with the preciousness of this knowledge, the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The word wisdom is a, is a special knowledge. It's a knowledge that's not a wisdom of this world. And the, the Bible does talk about the wisdom of this world that's, that's not a good wisdom. But the wisdom he's talking about here is a wisdom from above. It's the knowledge of God himself. And it comes from him. In the book of James, he would tell us in James chapter 1, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. That means bountifully, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing waver. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, thrown about and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So we're told the place of wisdom is the Lord himself. And he said, if you want more wisdom, ask the Lord for it, and he will liberally 
give it to you. Now I hope the Lord's blessed us all here with some wisdom this morning. But I'll tell you what, I want more. I need more. And the Lord's told us where we can go to get it, to ask of God. So here's this most blessed knowledge of any knowledge in all the world, the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's good to understand about all different kind of things in life, but I'm going to tell you the best thing we can understand is spiritual things. Glorious things. Then he says that she might walk worthy. Why are we to have this knowledge? Just to know more than the next person? Just to understand more than the next person? What if we met a man that had extreme and great knowledge in the laying of bricks. And he had probably studied how to brick lay more than anybody. He had tremendous knowledge in brick laying. But we go up to him and ask him, says, well, how many houses did you brick? And he says, oh, I've never bricked a house. You say, you haven't? Well, what about any chimneys? Have you, have you built up any fireplace? No, I'm, not, I'm never laid a brick. I just know all about it. What would we think of that man? We're like, why do you have all this knowledge, but you don't lay a brick? And the Lord gives us and blesses us to be filled with the knowledge of his will, but he blesses us so we'll use it, so we'll put it in practice. The bricklayer with all that knowledge, he should have been laying bricks. And the knowledge the Lord's blessed us with, we ought to walk in it. We ought to put it into practice. He said that you might walk worthy. Walking's action. We're supposed to do something with the knowledge that the Lord's blessed us with. And he said you're to walk worthy. That word worthy means in a worthy manner. It can mean appropriately. You know, there's appropriate walks for certain events in life. If I'm a minister and asked to preside over a wedding ceremony, all of the walking I do in that ceremony should be slowly, reverently, uh, people would look at me funny if I literally ran in to the wedding ceremony. Or have you seen the German soldiers and the Russian soldiers, the way they march, they, they call it the goose step with the legs going out very far in front of one another. 
What would folks think if somebody walked into church with the goose step? You'd say, that's not appropriate. What are you doing? That's, that's not appropriate. That's not the way to walk into the house of God. And there's spiritual ways we're to walk in this life. Ways that are appropriate. And as we continue to read, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Under all pleasing. Question. Pleasing who? He just said walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So who is our walk trying to please? The Lord. Not ourselves. Not the culture. Not the community. But the Lord. We can get into a whole lot of trouble as we go throughout life if we're trying to please somebody other than the Lord. How many times have people gotten into all kind of things that this Bible teaches against because they were trying to please their friends? We call it peer pressure. And peer pressure can occur at any age. It's not just for the young folks. But any of us at any age can be subject to peer pressure that try to lead us to do things wrong. Peer pressure to engage in drunkenness. Peer pressure to use illegal drugs. Peer pressure to get involved in all kind of types of immorality. So this worthy walk is worthy of the Lord and all pleasing. This knowledge that the Lord's blessed us with of his word and of his truth, we're to apply that knowledge in the way we live our life to please the Lord who has done so much for us. He says, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you think that bricklayer that was in the example that had all this knowledge, he had learned all about bricklaying but never laid a brick? You think if that bricklayer started laying bricks, would he learn more or less? He'd learn more. Because as he did what he had learned how to do, as he did stuff, there would be times he'd mess up. And he'd say, well, I don't want to do it that way again. You know, most of the home projects I've ever tried to do, I learned more about what not to do than what to do. I'm like, I'm not doing it that way again. But if, as the bricklayer began to lay bricks and he saw how, what worked and how it should be done and the right way to do it. 
I'm going to tell you the right way of anything we're going to do is God's way. Any other way is the wrong way. That you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, as we walk in a way that the Lord instructs us to walk and in a way that pleases him, we'll learn even more. We'll increase in the knowledge of God. He said being fruitful in every good work. You know, from the very beginning of the Bible, fruit was something that was beautiful. Fruit was something that men and women could partake of to sustain them. They could eat it. That was a blessing to them. You know, when the Lord made the Garden of Eden, there was only one tree they weren't supposed to eat of. The rest of it, of all the trees of the Garden of Eden, is free to eat. The fruit of Eden had to be tremendous. And all through the Bible, it talks about fruit. Being fruitful in every good work. We look over in Ephesians chapter 4, just a few pages previous to where we are. We see some similar language about walking worthy and this concept of, of being fruitful. The word fruitful is not used here in Ephesians 4, but walking worthy is. Says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Again, he wrote Ephesians as a prisoner of the Roman authorities. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. What vocation are we called to? That's a, that's a matter of life, that's a profession. Well, we're called to be children of God, and he's telling us, walk worthy of being called a child of God. A child of the king. He said with all lowliness and meekness. That word lowliness is humility. The word meekness is gentleness. With longsuffering. Forbearing one another in love. The word forbearing literally has the connotation of putting up with one another. Longsuffering one another. Uh, Reminds me of a conversation me and Brother Ruffin had right after him and Sister Eliza got married. I said, you know what marriage is? He said, what? I said, it's two, limit, two sinners living under the same roof. And his response very aptly was, yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> and that's true. So because we're all sinners, we're going to mess up. And long-suffering is us putting up with each other's mess-ups. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to walk in a peaceable way 
And true peace is the Lord's way. It's the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Do you know that that word there is the capital S spirit, the Holy Spirit? Do you know what this spirit is referred to in John chapter 14? Also in John chapter 15. And also in John chapter 16. It's called the spirit of truth. You see, sometimes, and this goes back to the peer pressure, some person may be, it may be you at work, it may be a young person at school, and your friends are trying to get you to engage in those behaviors I described that are totally contrary to what God says we need to do. Totally contrary to his word. But you're like, you know, if I just do what they want, maybe I can have peace. We're never going to have true peace by not doing what the Lord wants us to do. And that's true whether it's in the schoolhouse, whether it's in the workhouse. Sometimes we may think, let's just get along. To get along means I've got to compromise what the Lord tells me to do in his word. And, and maybe that's the way to have peace. No, that's not true peace. True peace is doing things the Lord's way. True peace is walking in his word. True peace is above all pleasing him who had chosen us to be a soldier who's done so much for us. That's true peace. It can even get into church situation. Let's say I started preaching a doctrine that was unsound. Let's say I started saying, well, what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary is not enough. But you've got to do your own works. And I began to preach a works type eternal salvation. Or I started saying, look, our simplistic form of worship, of just preaching, praying, and singing, that's, that's for the old days. We've got to start adding stuff to the church. We've got to add this. We've got to add that. We, we can't just do it the way we've been doing it. Those things would be very contrary to the Word of God. And it would be wrong for the church to say, well, we love Brother Mark so much. You know, we're just, we're just going to go along and get along and, and we're just going to let him do those things so we can have peace in the church. That's not true peace. True peace is, yes, being united, being the unity, as it says here in Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring means it takes some work. It takes effort. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. To be united in the Lord's way. What the Lord's told us to do. Being united in the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of God. And that's where true peace 
comes. It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from man. But as we're to experience peace, it's in walking worthy of the Lord and all pleasing. It says to go back to Colossians 1. It says being fruitful in every good work. You know, any fruit that's born in our life by pleasing the Lord, it's a blessing to us individually. You know, in the book of Song of Solomon, God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's so vividly portrayed there, is compared to an apple tree. And the bride, a picture of us, the church, the bride said, I sat under this apple tree, my husband, the Lord Jesus, and I sat under his apple tree with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. You see, the fruit of the Lord is a sweet blessing to us, his bride. So as fruit is born in our lives, it is a blessing to us. How is it a blessing to us? It's a blessing to us because we, we can see through an eye of faith. We can experience the sweet smiles of our Lord Jesus upon us. How many children in trying to please their parents? You ever remember a time when you did something that really pleased your mama and daddy? Maybe they had given you some task to do and you had done it the way they told you to do it and it all turned out really well and they were so pleased and they encouraged you and they commended you as a little child. How did that make us all feel? To see the smiles of our mother and our father. Say, they were pleased with what I did. You had that sweet sense of fulfillment and accomplishment. And what a sweet blessing, even to a far greater degree, to see the smiles of our Lord Jesus Christ and to realize I pleased him who's chosen me to be a soldier. And that fruit that's born, and he deserves all the glory for it. We never bear any spiritual fruit if it hadn't been for the fruit of the Holy Spirit he's put within us. So he always gets the glory. But I'm going to tell you, he gets the glory, but we also get a blessing from it when we please the Lord. But it can also be a blessing to others. See, that was the fruit of the Lord there in the Song of Solomon that he had born. But who was it a blessing to? His bride. I'm going to tell you, when we bear fruit in our life by walking in a way that the Lord has showed us, we need to walk. Like the Apostle Paul, the first thing he said, I think I mentioned this last time, on the road to Damascus when the Lord struck him down, he was trembling and astonished. He was used to making other folks tremble and be astonished. But he was trembling and astonished. The Lord had changed his heart. The Lord had borne him again right there on the road to Damascus. And his first words were, 
Lord, what will thou have me to do? That's using the wisdom and the knowledge the Lord's given us to put it into action to please the Lord. And the Apostle Paul spent the rest of his life trying to please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. And his fruit was a sweet blessing to so many of the churches. And our fruit has the ability to be a blessing to our families and to those we come in contact with. What did the bride say of the Lord's fruit? He said, his fruit was sweet to my taste. You know, when we're walking worthy of the Lord and the all-pleasing, we can help bring sweetness to the lives of those we're around. He says, strengthened that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. As we do what the Lord says, we learn even more. It says, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. You know what happens as we try to follow the Lord? As we try to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called, while we try to walk worthy of the Lord to all pleasing, because of all the trials and tribulations that can confront us in this life, there are times we can get spiritually faint and spiritually weak. Luke chapter 18, the Lord Jesus will tell a parable. And he'll tell a parable and tell you exactly why he's telling the parable. Now, sometimes the Lord didn't do that. Sometimes he tells a parable and you, he doesn't tell you exactly why he's telling it. And, and sometimes he'll tell an explanation of it later and Sometimes he's just giving you enough there with spiritual wisdom to try to figure it out. But here's a parable that the Lord tells you. This is why I'm telling you this parable. And in Luke chapter 18, he begins to tell this parable. And it's for this reason. And he tells us it's for this reason. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now that word faint doesn't mean us physically fainting. It means us spiritually fainting. It means us being discouraged, losing courage. And that's easy for that to happen as we go throughout this old world. Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever felt spiritually faint? I have on many occasions. He said that men are always to pray and not to faint. And he goes on and he talks about that widow that had been wronged by someone and she keeps going to this unjust judge that the Bible describes said he doesn't fear God and he doesn't regard man. Now, how would we like to go to a judge like that? Judge, give me justice. And you know the judge doesn't fear God. He don't care anything about you. 
He doesn't care anything about the Lord. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't regard man. That'd be rough. But the widow keeps coming. And she said, avenge me and my adversary. Give me justice. I've been wrong and you need to give me justice. And this old wicked judge that doesn't fear God or regard man finally gives the widow justice because she keeps coming. And the Lord tells us, keep coming in prayer. And he uses the illustration. He said, if this old wicked, unjust judge would give this woman justice, how much more the Lord who loves us and listens to the prayers of us as little children. He said, shall my God avenge his own elect? Means give us justice. Avenge his own elect. Help us in time of need which cry day and night unto him. He said he'll listen to our prayers. And as we go through and as we feel spiritually weakened by all that we face, the Lord's able to give us strength. The Lord's able to keep us from fainting. He's able to give us every single thing we need. That's why as the apostle Paul's praying for them to walk worthy, and then increasing the knowledge of God. He said, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. You see, he has power that's unending. My power gives out. I get tired of quicker than I used to. But the Lord's power never wanes one iota. The Lord's power never diminishes. The Lord's power never gives out. And we can be tapped into his almighty power. In John chapter 15, it tells us that he's the vine and we're the branches. And he tells us to abide in him. Now, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and we didn't have anything to do with being chosen in him. But we do have something to do with abiding in him. John chapter 15 and verse 4, just for the sake of time, we'll pick right here. Jesus said, Abide in me, not you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can't do nothing. He tells us, stay in the vine. Abide in him. Stay close to him. How do we do that? Being in his word every day. Increasing in the knowledge of God and applying it to our lives. See, it's not just in knowing the will of God, it's in doing the will of God. The Lord Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount said, He that hear these sayings of mine and doeth them not is like a man that built his house on the sand. And the winds came and the floods came and beat upon that house and it fell because they heard what the Lord said. 
But they didn't do what the Lord said. James talks about that. It says, A man that heareth these sayings and doeth them not, like a man beholding his natural face in a glass, in a mirror. He's heard what needs to be done. He's heard the word of the Lord. But he's looking in the mirror. He said he's like a man looking at his face in a glass. And he goeth and forgetteth what matter of man he was. When we all were getting ready this morning, we looked in the glass. We looked in the mirror. And there was a whole bunch of stuff we saw needed to be doing. And we did it. I can tell by looking at you all, you did it. What if we hadn't done it? If I showed up to church this morning like I woke up out of bed, you would see I was a hearer of the word but not a doer. He looked in the mirror, but he didn't do nothing about it. And so what a great blessing that we've been blessed. And it's a tremendous blessing to be blessed with the knowledge of God and to know the will of God. But he says you need to put it into practice. And you need strength to do it. And he said, your strength's going to fail. Without me, you can do nothing. But if you stay tapped into my strength, Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You may say, Brother Mark, the trials and tribulations of life have just beat me down so much, I can't put another foot in front of the other. I can't do it anymore. The Lord can give us strength. We have no strength. The same Lord that will bless us with wisdom will bless us with his strength. When we say, Lord, please, I can't do nothing. How many a gospel minister has gotten into the stand? Said, Lord, I've got no strength. And the Lord blesses with strength. The Lord blesses what we do not have within and of ourselves, but he has it. And he can bless us with it. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Patience is cheerful endurance. It's literally what it means, cheerful endurance. I'm a little bit better about enduring but I am about cheerfully enduring. But with the Lord's strength, we can not only endure, we can spirit, we can cheerfully endure. And long suffering. That word long suffering literally has the connotation of the English word forbearance means holding back on doing something. Not somebody makes us angry or somebody cuts us off in traffic, we immediately react. It's like, hold on. <laughs> Think about what you're doing. Be long-suffering. Be gentle, be kind. And it says, with joyfulness. The Apostle Paul, again, was a prisoner of the Roman authorities, but he had a joy that he wouldn't let that prison take away. 
And it was a joy that came from the Lord. It's, it's not a joy that came from his outward circumstances. So many things can happen to us in this life that are not joyful things. But in the midst of those difficult things, we can still have a joy of the Lord. Paul and Silas were such tremendous examples of that when they were cast into that inner prison and at midnight, their feet were fast in the stocks. They had, had many stripes and many whip marks laid upon them. Their backs would have been bare with agony and pain over what they endured. But in that prison at midnight, they sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard. You know, they were bearing fruit right there in that prison at midnight. Do you think that fruit was a blessing to them? I think the Lord smiled at them and said, I know you're going through a tough time, Paul and Silas, but I'm smiling upon you. Can you please me tonight? You please the one who's chosen you to be a soldier, Paul. You please the one, Silas, who's chosen you to be a soldier. I'm pleased. And I think they got a blessing that night from their faithfulness to the Lord. But I think those prisoners did too. It said the prisoners heard them. I don't know whatever happened to all those prisoners, but I believe what they saw and heard that night made a difference in their life. Since who have delivered us, giving us thanks unto the Father, I'm bringing my remarks to a close, bringing, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He said, all this is giving thanks unto the Lord. All this is giving thanks unto God the Father who's made us meet, who's made us fit to be inheritance of the saints, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. What better could we partake in? Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. This is something that's already happened. We're already blessed to be in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is. So much more could be said about these last two verses we covered. But what a blessing it is, all that the Lord's done for us. And all that he's blessed us with, and all the knowledge he's blessed us with, I pray the Lord will bless me to walk in it. I pray he'll strengthen us with his power when we get weak and faint in this old world. May God bless you, my friend.